Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest official 7 Investing podcast. My name is Steve Symington, and I'm joined by fellow 7 Investing lead advisor, Matt Cochran. Now, we're about halfway through the latest corporate quarterly earnings season, with about 55% of companies in the S&P 500 having released their first quarter or comparable fiscal quarterly results. We're going to spend some time today diving into some of the most impactful earnings reports we've seen from a handful of the largest companies in the world. We'll also spend some time along the way answering some listener questions we received leading up to the recording. So let's dive right in, starting with Alphabet, the parent company of Google. Shares of the world's largest internet search company popped 7% after their results last week. That was a huge leap given it's now $900 billion market cap after the report. Uh, Matt, can you give me your high-level take on what happened there? Sure, Steve. Uh, so yeah, I think... Uh, the quarterly earnings were better than what most people thought they'd be. Revenue ended up being up 13% to $41.2 billion. Uh, Nungap EPS earnings per share was down to $9.87, which was actually a 17, 17% decrease, but that included a $1.7 billion fine paid to the European Commission. Um, and so what ended up happening was um, their search revenue, which is the, the lion's share of revenue for Alphabet uh, was $24.5 billion, which was up 9% year over year. And um, it reflected strong year-on-year growth uh, for the first two months of the quarter. And then in March, revenues began to decline, and it ended actually ended the month at a mid-teens percentage decline in year-over-year revenues. But even throughout that, um, user search activity increased. Uh, now their interest uh, shifted to less commercial topics, is how Alphabet put it. But in addition, there's also reduced spending by Google's advertisers. Um, but they put out a lot of information about COVID-19, like their info panels that they had at the top of a lot of their search pages had over 20 billion impressions throughout the quarter. And they saw they, what they said, a significant rise in search activity. And to put it into perspective, in the U.S., coronavirus-related search activity at its peak was four times greater than during the peak of the Super Bowl. Well, wow, that's that's incredible. Now, a couple things there kind of jumped out at me. That big, huge fine. What'd you say? Just under two billion, one point seven billion to the European Union. Uh, the, those EU antitrust fines are starting to add up. But it's amazing to me that Google can continuously just essentially write them off as operating expenses in the quarter, and then continue to combat them in the courts. Uh, just goes to to speak to the scale. Uh, and I can't help but wonder how much those fines kind of feel like a slap on the wrist to a company like Google that's it, making uh, so much money every single quarter. Yeah, I mean, it is it is more than the change under the couch cushion, but it's definitely um, it's definitely not impacting their day to day operations in any way whatsoever. Yeah. And, and I think it, it's funny because one of the uh, potential sources of upside is if the Google actually successfully battles these antitrust fines, it could be something where they say, all right, we're recouping that cost that we previously wrote off. Uh, I think another thing worth noting is traffic acquisition costs for Google. Uh, it's sort of like sales commissions on the ad revenue that they get. Uh, we're up 8.6% to $7.45 billion last quarter. Um, and another thing to note is... The worst, 
you know, might be yet to come as far as quarterly results go. CFO Ruth Porat said the second quarter might be a difficult one for ad spending. Uh, but she also said it would be premature for them to comment on the timing quote, given all the variables here. So, um, what other sources, I guess, uh, looking outside of ad revenue, uh, is Google able to rely on? Right. So that, I think that's one of the things that's helping them right now is actually, so you can look at the Google cloud, uh, right now their Google cloud revenue this quarter was up 52% year over year to $2.7 billion. Um, that included, uh, G suite customers, uh, uh, which they have now more than 6 million paying GC customers. Uh, and then it also has things like Google Meet, right? So there were over 100 million daily Meet, Google Meet meeting participants. Uh, and they're basically, they said they were basically adding roughly 3 million new users each day and have seen a 30-fold increase in use, usage since January. And then you have other things like Google Classroom. There are now 100 million students and educators using Google Classroom, which was double the number from just the beginning of March. Uh, so you have a lot of these other sources of revenue now, which again, do they add up to what search is for Alphabet? They don't, but it's definitely helps uh, smoothing that out, that like steep drop off they saw in ad revenue. And it's probably, well, it, Maybe it's no coincidence, but uh, it's worth noting Google only recently started breaking out Google Cloud revenue last quarter. So not not the one they just reported last week, but the quarter before that. Uh, so by happenstance, that's something that's actually really helping them, something that is becoming a much more material part of their business. Uh, and when Matt says Google Meet, by the way, guys, uh, this is M-E-E-T. The first thing that popped into my head was something like Beyond Meat. Google hasn't gotten into the grocery business. No, not yet. Not yet. That's next quarter. <laughs> maybe, maybe I wouldn't put it past them. Uh, now, on the other side, we actually received a question from Don Paquette on Twitter regarding Google's other bets. Now, other bets revenue for Google, uh, it's still a tiny little sliver of the pie. Revenue was down 21% to $135 million. Um, Don asked, what are they working on or is it all secret projects? Matt, do you have any thoughts there? It's mostly secret projects. What they did say <laughs> was uh, Verily Life Sciences and Google Fiber are the two primary contributors right now to other bets. And that's so something that's been going on for you know the last several quarters. Uh, you'll see uh, they say that's the lion's share of their revenue. But uh, go right. on. Right, yeah, and, and that is correct. Yeah, and Verily Life Sciences is just like a, a research organization uh, devoted to the study of life sciences. And they got a lot of, Different projects going on, like like this is just from the the Wikipedia page uh, for Verily, but like they have a they're making they're working on a spoon for people with tremors. They're working on uh, comprehensive solutions that combine devices, software, medicine, and professional care to enable simple and intelligent disease management for people with diabetes. Uh, you know they, they were working on contact lenses that allowed people with diabetes to continually check their glucose levels, even though they, they stopped that project. So just different projects like that, uh, advancements in surgical robotics and things like that. And then Google Fiber is all it is, is a fiber to the premises service in the US uh, serving a few different regions. It started off in Kansas City a few years ago, but I think it's also uh, in uh, Austin, Texas now and uh, Atlanta and a few other regional markets around the U.S. And, and you know there are some other businesses uh, that sort of you know will you'll see a little bit of revenue from every once in a while. But by by and large, you'll see Verily and Fiber uh, contributing the lion's share of that revenue. But you do have companies uh, like Project Loon 
uh, which is a, it's like a balloon based internet service as strange as that sounds um, that they're working on. And there's, you know, drone delivery and there's also uh, X, which is their kind of moonshots lab, which is, which is really the, the, bulk of the secretive projects that they're really not telling anyone about. Uh, I actually had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go visit uh, Google's headquarters in Southern California. And uh, they, they let us into the lobby of X, but not much further. And <laughs> they, they came out and spoke with us a little bit, but really gave us very little in the way of details. Mildly frustrating, but uh, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's kind of fun actually to have a, a business this large that is almost that secretive. And I guess the other uh, related to other bets, uh, you also have Waymo. Don asked uh, on Twitter as well, what's going on with Waymo? What's become of the huge rollout in Mesa, Chandler, Arizona? This is their self-driving vehicle company. And uh, Waymo is interesting because uh, they did, uh, to be clear, suspend all of their driving operations in Arizona in March uh, for obvious reasons. The the, the coronavirus pandemic, uh, they said this isn't what we should be doing right now. Uh, and Alphabet Management offered little in the way of perspective on what's going on with Waymo uh, at the moment during last week's earnings conference call. Uh, though we have seen separate reports say that Waymo... Um, you know, raised, they did mention actually that uh, Waymo raised $2.25 billion in its first external investment round in early March. Uh, and, you know, coupled with really a flurry of new amount, uh, announcements of partnerships um, with uh, mapping and testing of autonomous long haul trucks in Texas and New Mexico that should start soon. Uh, really, over the long term, I don't see this changing alphabet stance on fostering Waymo as a promising business with huge future potential. And that's something to keep in mind with other bets is they generate barely any revenue. Uh, they're hugely unprofitable in the near term, but it should only take you know, one or two of these businesses to uh, really take off and uh, potentially make a substantial positive contribution to Alphabet's top and bottom lines uh, in the years to come. So that's the now, way to think about other bets. Now, Steve, we can't, we, we, we have, when you talk about Alphabet too, you have to talk about YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and here, w- what was really interesting, uh, first of all, YouTube ads, it was up 34% year over year to $4 billion in uh, change, but they saw a huge divergence in the type of ads uh, at the end of the quarter. Like through the first two months, uh, brand advertisements and what they call direct response ads were both up year over year. But then in March, uh, especially as the economic shutdown really went into effect, brand advertising like saw a steep decline. Brand advertising, so like basically you're talking about like when you're watching YouTube and they show polar bears drinking Coca-Cola or like a, a high-level Ford advertisement, which doesn't require any direct action from viewers, but just it's like a brand advertising. But direct response ads, which requires people to like click here to sign up for our subscription, click here for this email list, uh, go to this website and uh, and buy this right now. That direct response ads continue to have substantial year o- year over year growth throughout the entire quarter. Um, and they also saw a lot of uh, increase in viewership. And one area in particular they called out was live streams. Uh, Andrew Bocelli, uh, the singer, uh, sang live on Easter and had over like 39 million views in real time. Uh, so YouTube even saw uh, strong year-over-year growth like uh, throughout the quarter. And, and I guess in retrospect, that shouldn't be terribly surprising with everybody at home. 
uh, or for someone like me, when I wake up to the sound of YouTube on the TV, because my nine-year-old woke up early and decided he wanted to turn it on, but, uh, you know, stay-at-home orders, uh, I, it would be interesting to see for me whether in the next several months uh, they're able to sustain that momentum of people uh, are creating habits that way, or if it's a temporary bump in the acceleration. So, um, yeah, uh, as far as alphabet goes, I think those are those are the the big pieces that people should be watching. Uh, now, next up, we have Apple earnings. Now, um, it's hard to ignore Apple. This one point two seven trillion dollar market cap. Uh, last I looked uh, this afternoon, uh, Apple gained ground this quarter as well after its own better than expected report. Uh, revenue rose one percent higher to fifty eight point three billion dollars. That's incredible. Three months, $58.3 billion. That's even as iPhone revenue fell 7%. Now management blamed that both on a combination of supply and demand issues related to COVID-19, but services revenue, uh, once again, um, was the savior. It climbed 17% year over year to a new quarterly record of 13.3 billion. Now these are high margin digital services for Apple. Gross margin for them was about 65.4%. Now compare that to just over 30% for their products, their hardware. Uh, that includes sales from uh, places like the Apple App Store, digital books, Apple Music, Apple Arcade, Apple TV Plus, Apple News. Uh, they said there's 550 million subscribers to these services now, and these are high-margin, lucrative sales. Um, at the same time, Apple announced a $50 billion increase to its existing share repurchase authorization, which, funny enough, was actually less than some analysts had been modeling, uh, which goes to show exactly how much uh, people are looking forward to Apple's um, ridiculous cash-generating ability and how much they've been giving back to shareholders uh, they that was that fifty billion dollar increase was on top of their forty billion uh, that they had remaining on their share repurchase authorization at the end of March, so that means um, not excluding uh, these funds they have authorized to repurchase, they have bought back already three hundred forty five billion in stock uh, to date. That's a huge. Is that chunk a lot? Cash. I mean, really, that's so much money. I mean, I, Apple's a one point three trillion dollar company, but. Uh, there are so many companies, even in the S&P 500, I mean, they could have bought over and again. And uh, <laughs> it's incredible. But they also increased their dividend by a few pennies to 80, 82 cents per share. I think it was like a 6% increase. Uh, but in the end, you know, you're looking at a company with a net cash position of $83.3 billion. Um, what an incredible business, uh, even with their their sort of bread and butter iPhone segment falling. Um, it it really is incredible. Yeah. You know, like I think the thing that stood out, uh, which, which you touched on was their service revenue. And w like uh, in the, in the earnings release, the CFO said, uh, or maybe it's the earnings conference said, our active installed base of devices reached an all time high in all of its geographic segments and across all major product categories. And all that, when I see that and read that, I just think, that's just more service revenue coming in. Yep. And when the economy can be bad, but people are going to be paying those services on their uh, iPhone devices and other Apple devices. It's this beautiful virtuous cycle uh, where the more people that use Apple devices, the more people sign up for services, the more people sign up for services, the more people are likely to use Apple devices. And um, you know, here again, another thing that's important to note is Apple was unwilling to provide forward guidance. Um, but 
Uh, I think that they're, they're well positioned to push forward through that. Uh, but again, they're saying, you know what, there's just too many uncertainties here. Second quarter might be ugly. Uh, something else to keep in mind. And now next up, uh, we have Facebook. Matt, I would love for you to give me your perspective on what they had to say. Sure. And just on a, a really high level, I mean, right now, Facebook, they have 3 billion monthly active users across their properties, which is uh, Facebook, many, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Messenger, over 3 billion. How many people are in the world right now? Little I little don't seven? even know. It can't be much more than that. I think, <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> seven, yeah, I think there's seven point some odd billion people in the world. That's, that's so insane. about half the people in the world uh, are a monthly active user of Facebook. They had their highest single quarter free, free clash cash flow ever of $7.3 billion. Um, they announced they would be delaying some uh, CapEx spending to 2021. But at the end of the day, this is a company with 80% gross margins, uh, 33% EBIT margins, and 41% free cash flow margins. Um, <laughs> just an incredible company. So just this quarter alone, they added 106 million monthly active users uh, across their properties. To put that in perspective, like sometimes uh, people... And I'm a, I'm a, I'll admit, I mean, I have a position in Facebook and I'm a, I'm a bull on Facebook. I, I think this is a, a great company. Like people, but what I hear sometimes is people say, well, MySpace was popular and it went away. So Facebook is popular, but that could go away too. So to put this in perspective, they added 106 million monthly active users just this quarter. That's more than MySpace ever had. At its peak, MySpace had about 80 million monthly active users. So just this quarter, Facebook added more monthly active users. They added more than a MySpace to its monthly active user roster. But can they allow you to, to play your favorite song when you visit someone's profile? <laughs> maybe not maybe our not. young our younger subscribers might not quite get that <laughs> they one. don't know what you're saying uh, <laughs> uh, that, so i i guess maybe this is a, another good time that, that kind of raises the question what of what where they stand now so we had a question from deval patel on twitter as well he said facebook bounced back big time earnings last quarter were good but do you think if earnings momentum uh, will be the same. Do you think it'll be the same for advertisement-focused companies in the next one to two quarters? So what did they say, if anything? To so that they actually, they, they gave some pretty good color on this. So in March, uh, Facebook saw a pretty broad-based pullback, uh, which was especially concentrated in some of the sectors, predictably, like travel and auto, but it was really just broad-based across large and small advertisers. Mm -hmm. But there were a few sectors, such as gaming, where these companies have what they call always on campaigns that were able to pick up ad supply because Facebook sells ads on an auction level. And so when there's not buyers at a higher level, the price of these ads drop. But when they drop to a certain level, these quote unquote always on campaigns came on and a lot of it was from gaming. A lot of it was from e-commerce uh, companies and they bought up the ads. And so at the end of the day, Facebook is seeing people who are driving towards online conversion events do very well because they're able to kind of bid in the auction and get users and get results that they're looking for. They're getting a great return on their advertising spending and advertisers who are looking for more offline or top of the funnel brand advertising. That's where Facebook has seen more pullback in ad spending, but the gaming and e-commerce campaigns, they, they effectively created this floor for revenue and earnings. So as soon as the ad prices dropped to a certain level, these campaigns were very happy to come in and, and buy up advertising. Now, the backdrop to this, there's two things here. One is, is 
engagement's up. So you have more people on Facebook now than you do because again, just like the same thing with YouTube, it's the same effect here. Uh, in fact, in many of the places hardest hit by the virus, messaging volume increased more than 50%. Voice and video calling uh, more than doubled across Messenger and WhatsApp. Um, you know, in Italy, for example, which was devastated and just completely shut down for a few weeks there, uh, they saw up to 70% more time spent across the Facebook apps and Instagram. Uh, Facebook live views doubled in a week there. Uh, group video calling increased by a thousand percent in March in Italy. Uh, so you're seeing engagement up. So the, the million dollar question or the billion dollar question for Facebook is- billion dollar question. Right, is, is, is there enough of these gaming campaigns and e-commerce campaigns to buy these ads to keep that going? I don't know, but right now in April, they did see stability. They withdrew guidance and they, you know, they said things could get worse before they get better. They were cautious with what they said, but early results, uh, if you're a Facebook shareholder, were, were good. Yeah. I think uh, another thing to keep in mind for investors uh, to that end going forward is as Facebook sees such a huge surge in certain segments, uh, that's also going to bring some higher operating costs, some server requirements, uh, you know, to, to shift computing resources that direction. Uh, what kind of, if advertisers aren't quite embracing um, the traffic that these are bringing, um, what kind of cost pressure is Facebook going to be facing uh, over the next couple of quarters? That's something to keep in mind. Uh, we didn't get a lot of color that way, um, but something to watch anyway for Facebook. Right. But remember, this is a company with a $60 billion cash cushion, um, you know, which is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's right up there in the upper echelons, uh, mm -hmm. you know, with Apple, like as far as cash goes, it has a very high operating margin, um, you know, and as long as user engagement is up, that's what I would be watching. Advertising yeah. spending can, can come and go with, with Alphabet too, right? Like we just talked about. Yeah. Advertising spending can come and go. Um, you know, over time, it will go up as global GDP goes up. But like, could it take a hit? Absolutely. But as long as you see that user engagement um, increase and stay, I mean, one, just stay steady, but increase, uh, like Facebook's going to be fine. Facebook's going to be fine. And just real quick too, like for video calling, um, between, between WhatsApp and Messenger, there are now more than 700 million daily active users participating in video calls. Um, you know, and they're at, they added like a lot of things like video messenger rooms and they increased like a video calls on WhatsApp from four met participants to eight and things like that. But the, I mean, this company is just, it's all in the right areas and they get very little attention for that. Uh, you know, so as long, but as long as they keep that user engagement up, I, I wouldn't worry uh, long-term. I wouldn't worry about the advertising spending. Could it take yeah. a hit next quarter? Absolutely. Speaking of quarters, we had another one from Netflix. Uh, <laughs> that, that was uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but uh, I, it needs to be addressed. It was absolutely insane to watch the near term, catalysts that they had from these stay-at-home orders. They absolutely crushed 
Netflix absolutely crushed expectations. There were almost 15.8 million new paid subscribers uh, added in the first quarter. That was compared to, I think their guidance called for the low seven millions. Most analysts were looking for something closer to the $8 million or 8 million subscriber range. Uh, That brought its global subscriber base to 182.8 million people. So uh, not quite obviously on the same scale as Facebook with its 3 billion insane users, but Uh, An incredible achievement for a business uh, like Netflix when it comes to video streaming uh, and this paid subscriber base. So uh, the biggest question, I think, for uh, investors today is how many of those orders were pulled forward uh, and whether Netflix can keep it up once these social distancing guidelines, stay-at-home orders are lifted. Now, I I think that's also the biggest question for Netflix management. That's... uh, sort of the the big concern going forward is uh, even management admitted that while they expect uh, to pull in, I think, seven to eight million new subscribers again in the second quarter, uh, those figures, their guidance that they offered for the second quarter was mostly guesswork. Uh, There's so many variables at play here and they're not sure how it's going to play out. But uh, what if one thing was clear, it's that people were turning to Netflix and chill in social isolation. So um, we had a couple questions, a a few questions on Netflix from listeners on Twitter. Uh, Two were pretty closely related, I think. One was from uh, clueless underscore 1337. How does one value Netflix, which consistently generates negative free cash flow? And uh, one from Saurabh H., does Netflix always have to spend more money to let its growth engine keep on running? Um, so a company consistently generating negative free cash flow in part because they are spending money on original content to keep that growth engine running. Matt, do you have any kind of cursory thoughts on those topics? Well, I think they're very good questions and it's the, exactly the questions that shareholders uh, of Netflix sh- should be asking mm. I think in theory or what uh, shareholders would say or, or bulls would say would, would be that eventually they will build up a backlog of original content, which can uh, keep and uh, win over new customers on its own. Now, do they have to keep ever spending more money to create new content and to win over new customers? Is, is That's the really big question. The other big question is Ultimately, going looking forward, what can they ultimately charge customers for their service? I think that's the other really big question. Like, what is what is Netflix's true pricing power? You know, something, uh, Steve, you and Austin were talking about on uh, uh, our podcast a couple of weeks ago when we did our last team call. Like, it's really, really stuck with me, and I, I've been thinking about it. But, like, how you guys just said, you know, when, when people were getting their stimulus checks and, like, what, how we thought that might affect the investing landscape and what companies would be winners from that and what companies would be losers. And you guys, you two were absolutely right. One of the biggest winners is Netflix because people for, for about 15 bucks a month, you can almost basically buy yourself unlimited entertainment with Netflix. And that's, that's an incredible value proposition. What is Netflix's true pricing power? I think is what you have to ask if you're a shareholder. Yeah. Like what can they ultimately charge their customers for their service? And ultimately, will they build up enough original content where they can actually just take their foot a little off the gas pedal of creating new original content? And, and I think that's something that's very important uh, to remember as a shareholder is that it won't 
take much easing off that gas pedal as far as investments in original content go in order for Netflix, you know, to really uh, enjoy some operating leverage and, uh, and, and see like, whoop, look what our profits went. Um, yeah, I know it's not you know, directly comparable, but we've seen a, a couple other companies where their cloud businesses have started to, uh, to, to meaningfully contribute to their, their top lines. And, and all of a sudden, uh, profits kind of go through the roof. Uh, I would be surprised if something like that similar didn't happen with Netflix. Uh, if they just decide, you know, okay, we've got this fantastic library. We already have so much content. Someone can't consume it in a lifetime. Uh, but focus on a few uh, really popular products, uh, really few popular pieces. I mean, hey, get, you know, uh, another four episodes of the Tiger King out there and get people <laughs> barreling back in to, to watch the, the cluster that is these, uh, these crazy people. And, uh, and on, really, on FinTwit yeah. the other day, somebody asked what well, somebody was talking about, like, what's the bull case for Netflix? And all somebody put in response and it got like a million likes or something it was like oh, no. Tiger King season five. Oh God. <laughs> but <laughs> that's I, all you need to know. I'll watch it. And I don't necessarily want to, but it's this train wreck you can't look away from. Before we move on from Netflix, I, uh, we should take a, there's a couple questions from Paul Essen um, on Twitter as well. Will Netflix ever be a major player in China or will the government keep them out? And second, do they have pricing power in other international markets or will the mobile plans be a continuing drag on margin. I think China is a crowded, um, difficult market to penetrate. And I think you run into uh, regulatory issues. One, uh, two, uh, it concerns over the content that they're allowed to post. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced it is worth it for Netflix to attempt to become a major player in China. Uh, if it happens, fine. Uh, could be an incremental value add, but uh, let's just say I'm not holding my breath for that ever to happen. Um, Matt, do you have thoughts on the pricing power question in international markets? I think it's a good question to ask, like, I, you know, and specifically to China, you know, almost, Steve, I, I think with any of these companies, maybe outside of Apple, I, I would be wary if your bull case relies on them breaking into China, the Chinese market in a significant way. And, uh, and if, you're, you know, if your ticker isn't IQ... Maybe Correct. or uh, well, yeah, or, for an American company, video for the, for the American companies we're talking about tonight, like yeah. uh, you, you know, for the for the big tech, uh, U.S. companies, if your bull case relies on them entering or breaking into the Chinese market in a meaningful mm -hmm. way, I would be uh, I'd be wary about investing in any of the companies on for that reason. Yeah, that said, uh, as far as outside of China, but still international, uh, I do think Netflix uh, will prove itself capable of ever so modestly increasing its prices in a similar way that it's done as its business matured in the United States. So these other international markets, uh, even if we're talking 50 cents at a time, a dollar at a time, uh, I remember, you know, when my plan for Netflix cost several dollars less a month and I didn't bat an eye when they bumped it up to 12.99. And uh, I, I think they can do that in time, um, but they will need to, uh, I, I think they'll need, um, you know, not, we're not talking just a couple of quarters. I think they'll need years established in those markets before people trust them enough and they've proven their services sticky enough to capture the attention of those international viewers. Uh, before no, I agree. I brand. agree. So it's a good point. Um, next up we have Microsoft. I think that the thing there, there's two big takeaways here. One, I'll, I'll just highlight this. This is almost one of their, their, their first sentences in the earnings report. 
COVID-19 had minimal net impact on the total company revenue. And in fact, like Steve, like I think you could say there, there's few companies better positioned for COVID-19 than Microsoft. You know, even as user engagement with uh, Google search goes up or Facebook goes up, they still rely on advertising revenue. Not the case with Microsoft. You know, just read this from Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO. As COVID-19 impacts every aspect of our work and life, we have seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. From remote teamwork and learning to sales and customer service to critical cloud infrastructure and security, we are working alongside customers every day to help them stay open for business and a world of remote everything. You know, I mean, again, this company is just clicking on all cylinders. Revenue was $35 billion for the quarter, which was up 15%. EPS was up 23%. And during the quarter, they also returned $10 billion to shareholders via dividends and buybacks. Uh, you know, in every single segment of this, uh, you know, they have three main segments. You know, they have productivity, productivity and business processes, which is basically Office 365. That may, they now have 258 million paid seats for Office 365. Uh, that's where Microsoft Teams, uh, now they have 200 million meeting participants in a single day this month for Microsoft Teams, generating more than 4.1 billion meeting minutes. Teams now has more than 75 million daily active users. Two thirds of them shared, collaborated, or interacted with files on Teams. Uh, the number of organizations integrating their own third party or their own uh, line of business apps with Teams has tripled in the past two months. More than 183,000 educational institutions now rely on Teams. Teams powered the NFL's first ever virtual draft uh, last month uh, that everybody watched on ESPN. Uh, you know, also in this segment, you have LinkedIn. Revenue there was up 21%. You have Dynamics 365, which is basically their commerce software line. Revenue growth there was up 47%. Uh, then you have personal computing, which was up, which was $11 billion this quarter. Uh, that's where you have Windows. Uh, you know, right now, Windows 10 is on more than 1 billion monthly active devices, which is up 30% year over year. Uh, you have Xbox game. Uh, you know, Xbox is counted under this one. You have 90 million active Xbox Live users. You have 10 million Xbox Game Pass active users. Um, so, you know, that, 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 that segment is cash down. And then they're, they're one that's growing the fastest. It's the largest, Intelligent Cloud, $12.3 billion this quarter, up 27% year over year. And this is where you have Azure, which it showed revenue growth of 59%. You know, Azure, they already have more data center regions than any other cloud provider. Uh, and this quarter, they, they expanded that. Uh, they have 50 million developers on GitHub. Um, you know, they're... Enterprise services revenue was up 6%. Uh, so Azure, Intelligent Cloud, it's growing 27% year over year. It has 50% EBIT margins and it has $46 billion in trailing 12-month revenue. I mean, just in, incredible numbers. Now, now, for perspective, remember, just earlier in this podcast, we were noting that Google reported that uh, it was less than $3 billion for their uh, Google Cloud segment. Uh, you know, we're talking... Um, yeah, four times as large as Google Cloud. Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, really and I, I think one of the things that I take away from this as a prospective investor is uh, is not to forget about Microsoft. It's so easy for people to do and say, oh, Microsoft's this big behemoth. 
uh, you know, their growth days are done. Uh, they have so many irons in the fire. They're generating so much cash. Uh, and it's, it's still uh, a conglomeration of compelling businesses. So uh, right. I don't think we should forget about Microsoft. And so many times when we're talking about these, uh, these high flying SaaS companies, which, which I love too, um, you know, we, we try to figure out which ones are the most uh, necessary to these businesses. Businesses are not going to cancel Microsoft until they turn off the lights. You know, like you're, you're not, you know, you're on office 365. You're not canceling that service. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that they tie into today's business world. And you look where, where the future's going, like with AI or, or anything like that. Microsoft is, is the leader uh, in this. And, you know, they're sitting on a, a mountain of cash too, like a lot of the other companies we've talked about tonight. Uh, they pay a nice dividend. They're buying back shares. And at the end of the day, like COVID-19, minimal net impact on total company revenue. Which is a rarity, and I think underreported in Microsoft's case. So, uh, speaking of which, uh, we had another question from uh, Laura Duperin on, uh, forgive me if I mispronounced that, Laura, on Twitter. She said those companies are becoming so big with so much cash, they could go shopping. What do you believe they will go after? Uh, so, of all the companies that we've talked about, do any potential uh, M&A deals um, come to mind for you, Matt, off the top of your head? That's interesting. I think all these companies are in the position where they have to decide when they see a competitor eating away at one of their business lines, do they have to go after it organically, you know, and, and make their own line, uh, <clears throat> their own line, <throat> or do they go after it by just buying out the competition? A few things I would say, like you, when you look at uh, Google Cloud, like as they're trying to catch up to Amazon, you know, Amazon AWS, or Microsoft's Azure, like I think you could see Google make some key acquisitions coming up um, to beef up their cloud division. Sure, like, and, and I've, I've read uh, reports, speculation that Nutanix could actually be one of those, this hyper-converged infrastructure company on the cloud side um, that uh, they, you know, and, and I guess keeping in mind uh, prior to Nutanix's IPO, I think it was back in 2015, uh, Cisco, I believe, tried to acquire them. Um, but they're saying, you know, Google, it might make sense for them to gobble up a couple of these smaller providers um, to extend their industry leadership. Absolutely. That would make a lot of sense. Another one I would look, you know, again, speculation, but like uh, for, for Alphabet would be Fastly. You know, Microsoft mm. and, and AWS both have their own in-house like, uh, like edge services to, to get their, their cloud data to their end users quicker. Uh, Google Cloud actually has an, a partnership with Fastly, which does that for them. So could Google Cloud, like, could, could Alphabet gobble up, like, a company like Fastly? I mean, they already work with Fastly. You know, I think that might be a potential target. Yeah, and those would be just the ones that make headlines, by the way. I mean, uh, Google and Apple and Microsoft, uh, you could search for... <laughs> Just they 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 literally make hundreds, uh, dozens, uh, of of notable tuck-in acquisitions yep. that sort of fly yep. under the radar. These little privately held companies uh, to improve their positions. Every once in a while, I'll have a service, and I'm like, wait a second, Google bought them, you know, or they'll you know the the buying spree of robotics companies they went on a couple of years ago. Um, so there'll be some that you don't even hear about um, 
they're just kind of on the peripheral. Uh, but uh, another one that comes to mind for me is, uh, and we mentioned this uh, a week or two ago on a previous podcast, was Netflix looking for content acquisitions. It might make sense for them uh, to spend some of their money uh, instead of on an original content gobbling up these other content providers, someone like Lionsgate. Um, you're talking about a a company that's a billion and a half dollars. It'd be a a pretty simple acquisition to make. Uh, and you'd still have uh, other content providers that really wouldn't, uh, concern, um, you so much from a, uh, content perspective. But, uh, you know, I think actually before we were talking about Disney, uh, gobbling up Lionsgate, um, but these, these little guys, I, I think, I'm not sure how much longer they can last as they stand uh, trying to promote their own services. You know, they can license these out, but it might make more sense for these companies to kind of get sucked into the, uh, the umbrella uh, of these bigger people who are trying to make their own content. One more question I think uh, we have time for before we go too long. Uh, but Tom at cashflow underscore fool on Twitter. Yes. Which company, I love this question, which company would cause the biggest havoc in the world if it were to cease to exist immediately and all their products stopped working. Now, two different categories. We could put that in the short-term disruption, maybe over the next zero to three months, long-term disruption, one to three years. Uh, which company in the short term do you think would cause the most disruption, Matt? if it were to stop working entirely, everything stopped working. I can't imagine the world tomorrow if everybody's iPhone just became a, a useless brick. So Apple. Uh, so I would have to say Apple uh, for, for the short term. Uh, what about long-term, Steve? What would you well, uh, I, I would almost, I, I'd say short-term and long-term. I, I would say Alphabet um, would, would give anyone a run for its money. Can you imagine <laughs> if your Gmail... Uh, and you're well, you know, pixel smartphones, not so much, but they've got eight different products that have at least eight, seven or eight, I believe, uh, different products that have at least 1 billion monthly active users a piece. So you're talking YouTube and Google search and maps and drive. You know how to get anywhere. <laughs> you, you, you never, you wouldn't have to know how to get anywhere. Be People like, don't give directions anymore. Straight back to 1990. Oh like, my goodness, it'd be horrible. Well, well it's, it's, it's remarkable to to think about uh, what we did before. You know, our, our, I've I've talked to my kids about how we got around and uh, right, and right. you know everything we did. We didn't, you know. I remember starting my first email address and and Google Net Search. I was um, Alta Vista, I think was my preferred internet search provider for the longest time. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd say alphabet would, would go in there. So, um, I think at, at risk of running uh, a little long, we should probably tie it up, Matt till next time, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm seven investing lead advisor, Steve Symington. I'm joined by my colleague and fellow lead advisor, Matt Cochran. Uh, For more information about what we do and our monthly recommendations, please visit 7investing.com. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. And before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult with a financial or tax professional.